If you or someone you know is experiencing suicidal thoughts or in a crisis, please call or text the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline at 988. That's 988. This service is free and it's also confidential. The Lady Parts Doctor podcast is a health podcast focusing on issues that affect women and those assigned female at birth. However, it is for everyone. This is our safe place to talk about things that matter to you involving your spiritual, mental, and physical health. It's not medical advice. It's medical information. We talk and I give you the evidence with a little of my personal and professional experience sprinkled in. So grab your tea, your water, your coffee, your wine, whatever it is. I actually need to go find my water bottle because I have nothing right now. <laughs> and let's go. Welcome to the Lady Parts Doctor podcast. I'm Dr. Stephanie Hack, the Lady Parts Doctor, and thank you so much for tuning in today for another conversation because you know I love it when we chat and we keep having some awesome conversations. Last episode, we talked about postpartum mental health and I spoke with Dr. Nicole Kumi about her experience with postpartum depression and we just talked about different experiences from motherhood. And really, that was a great podcast. It was long. And you know, I don't typically do a long podcast. And it probably could have been two episodes, but it was just such a great conversation. I kept it all together, which kind of brings me to today's topic. I wanted to switch off of maternal health or switch away from maternal health and OB this week and speak about something like a little more GYN focused and lighthearted. And I'm not doing that. Why well, I am and I'm not. So before I go any further into what we're going to talk about this week, I want to give a disclaimer so you know, a trigger alert, a warning. We are going to be discussing suicide in this week's episode. And you probably caught that with the disclaimer at the beginning of the podcast. So if this is something that is triggering for you, if this is not something that you are in a place mentally, spiritually, where you can discuss it, you can just skip this episode and probably actually the next two episodes and come back to it. But that will be very clear in the title, so you'll know when to jump back in. But if you are at a place to have an honest conversation about suicide, we are going to start talking about it today. And the what led me to want to talk about this, as you know, when there is something on my heart I, I have to talk about it. It's even in conversation, even if I said, oh, we're going to talk about something else, I do my best to keep my promises. But sometimes something is timely and it just needs to be discussed. So last week there was a young woman, a young black woman who was a Haitian American woman and she was a resident. 
she had gone through medical school and so she was in her training to become whatever specialty of doctor she wanted to be. And with this bright future ahead of her, she committed suicide. She took her own life. And, you know, when that happens, there's always the moment of shock first because you look at that person and you say to yourself, what was going on? Everything looked fine. Look at all they had done. Look at where they were and all the success they had achieved in life. Why would they ever make a decision to leave all of that behind? Why would they make such a permanent decision? So that's the first is shock and for them and concern for them. And then the second is self-reflection. And then you look back at yourself and you're really kind of thinking, well, what could they have gone through that that's that bad to make them want to do that? Because I think we all have this kind of self-preservation, like, I don't want that to happen to me. You know, when things happen and we don't like them and they don't feel good, and they are hurtful or harmful, we think, how can I avoid that? How can I make sure that doesn't happen to me? And so that comes in second. But with this, you know, I'm just hearing more and more of these stories of physician suicide. And obviously we know it's not just physicians, but in this episode, I just wanted to speak about the issue, but I wanted to take on the physician aspect of it and what makes it a special issue for physicians. And much of this will apply, you know, to anyone in any profession. But again, I just wanted to take a look at physicians. To really have this discussion, I needed a special guest. And so on this episode, you'll hear me speaking with Dr. Karen Abdul, MD, PhD. She is a passionate and empathetic psychiatrist, keynote speaker, and community educator. She's learned from her work with the Harvard program in refugee trauma that mental wellness is whole body wellness, and she's created a unique approach to healthcare for communities using her competency in refugee health. She incorporates methods such as trauma narrative therapy, oral history taking, nutrition counseling, and health education into patient care. You know, these are things that we don't typically think of as a psychiatrist, you know, that they would do all of this, but you're going to hear not probably in this episode, probably the next episode, she's going to speak a little bit more about this and her practice. She received her medical degree from Howard University in Washington, D.C., where she also received her PhD in microbiology with an emphasis in immunology. She completed her medical residency training in psychiatry at the Brigham and Women's Harvard Medical School Psychiatry Residency Program. That is a mouthful. (laughs) And she went on to complete certification in the Harvard Program in Refugee trauma, and global mental health. And Dr. Abdul founded Beryllium Psychiatric Services upon the premise that healing must occur in the individual, the family, and the community. Please listen and welcome Dr. Abdul to the podcast. All right. This is the Lady Parts Doctor podcast. I'm Dr. Stephanie Hack, the Lady Parts Doctor, and I'd like to welcome to the show today a special guest, Dr. Karen Abdul. Welcome. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. I am so happy to have you. I know I'm always talking about mental health related things, but it's great to have a psychiatrist who is an expert in mental health to come and speak about these subjects and give your input. So I'm very happy to have you. (laughs) I appreciate that. I really Um, do. 
And I, I have to thank Dr. Abdul because I originally asked her to come on to talk a little bit more about maternal mental health, but there is just, you know, some, we try to be timely here at the podcast and there was the announcement of last week, a young physician, a young resident physician taking her life. And I said, you know what, physician suicide and suicide in general is something that it leaves you feeling heavy. And as I try to steer the Lady Parts Doctor podcast into something that leaves you uplifted, and we'll still try to give you something that uplifts you after this podcast. But, you know, it's hard to talk about something like suicide. It's you know, there's so much despair um, that leads someone to that moment and to actually take those actions. But it's still an issue that needs to be addressed because there are people every day out there making decisions and feeling the weight of the world and decisions that will influence their life and whether they want to continue. In light of that, we're going to talk a little bit about physician suicide today. So Dr. Abdul, before we get started, can you just talk a little bit about what brought you to the field of mental health? Wow. So that is a big question because I actually started out intending to do oncology. Oh, and, really? <laughs> and my dissertation actually for my PhD was in tumor immunology. Okay. So Not mental I, health. <laughs> <laughs> so I, start, I started medical school with every intent of entering primary care medicine and then specializing in oncology. And I remember sitting in front of the TV, sometimes diagnosing politicians and things and other people uh, on TV when I was in medical school. Mm -hmm. And my former husband said to me, you really need to do psychiatry. You're <laughs> so interested in this. And so, I ended up in psychiatry because of that, because I've, I've always had a love for people. I've always had a love for understanding the way the mind works, the way mm -hmm. that people think, but I've also, also had a love for understanding the way that populations, like sort of the collective thought. Mm -hmm how that moves like how do we get people to move for example into fighting together to free their country how did hitler get people to look the other way well right. people you know what i mean yeah how did slavery how did that become this deep abuse of people and the literally changing people's understanding yeah of humanity to facilitate right. this how does that happen how do the deeply negative things happen and also how do the deeply positive things happen how do we create community mm -hmm. how do we uplift each other how do we you know sort of watch a movement come together that really fosters and builds mm -hmm. So all of these things led me to psychiatry and I am, I have never regretted it. And I can use my immunology because we're finding out there's a lot of immunological dysregulation in mental illness. Oh, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. Yes. A lot of uh, hyperinflammation of the brain. 
Mm, okay. Um, in major depressive disorder, in traumatic disorders, in anxiety-related disorders, and it creates sort of distinct patterns of change in the prefrontal cortex, which for those of you who are not physicians is basically our mind map. It actually, you know, helps us to plan, it helps us to execute, and it helps us to form the patterns for our lives. And, you know, there's also hyperinflammation in the hippocampus, which is the seat of memory Mm -hmm. um, and concentration. And so a lot of people, you know, one of the first things to go when they start becoming depressed or anxious or have been deeply traumatized Mm -hmm. is their concentration. And there is a reason that the actual volume of the hippocampus changes. Lots of stuff. (laughs) (laughs) You're applying it. You're talking about it. And I was just remembering medical school because that's really the last time that I was focused on or actively treating or studying these specific issues. But, you know, they talked about mental health conditions are just a sign that the brain is unwell. You know, Mm -hmm. like we have a different understanding of like what it means when your stomach is unwell or, Mm -hmm. you know, when your heart is unwell, but when your brain is unwell, how that manifests as mental health conditions. So it's just interesting way to to think about it. Are physicians, and I already know the answer to this, but for our listeners, are physicians at an increased risk for suicide? And if so, why do you think that is? Physicians are at an increased risk for suicide. That's statistically true. And there are a couple of very practical reasons. And then there are other reasons which I will kind of, they're a little bit more philosophical um, in nature. So very practically, when a physician decides to commit suicide, that person has the best understanding of the body of anyone on the mm-hmm. earth this is this is the way that we are trained right they know how to do that they know exactly what to do so that's one thing another thing that has been deeply problematic is that mental health challenges of all the health challenges we have mental health challenges have been deeply stigmatized in the physician community. And people Mm -hmm. can actually be dropped from their residency programs, be asked to leave medical school if they have mental health programs. Whereas, you know, if the person has another kind of mental illness, if they have like an autoimmune disorder like lupus, if they have type 1 diabetes, if they have whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, they are deeply encouraged and supported and given assistance and, you know, all of these kinds of things. And it becomes like, hey, look at this heroic person. Yeah. Overcoming this. Overcoming. Right. This challenge. This challenge. Yeah. Right. But when it comes to mental health, it's so deeply stigmatized that we don't talk about it. And not just in the medical community, right? Like medical health, you know, mental health conditions are stigmatized everywhere. We had that just recently with the young man that was killed in New York on the subway system who had a mental health condition. Like we're programmed to see people 
who are suffering from mental health conditions who don't have the appropriate help and resources and to think, oh, stay away from them and make, you know, have negative associations. So exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it, it's made worse by the fact that now there are, you know, so many mass shootings in the US. And for some reason, these mass shootings, when particularly when they're associated with white perpetrators, white murderers are immediately associated with mental health issues. And that is actually not correct. There has been no upregulation in any mental illness that correlates with the numbers of mass shootings in the United States. Interesting. And yeah. There has been no no upregulation. You can look on the CDC website. Mm -hmm. It's not there. Most people who are mentally ill who who die die by suicide. And this is across the board: bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, major depressive. Disorder. Interesting. Most people turn on themselves, and not other people. And not other people. The one exception, I believe, is with substance abuse or was traditionally in the past with substance abuse. And even that they're working on. But there's been no increase in homicides, homicidal ideation, anything like that amongst the mentally ill population. So I'm just going to take a moment here to kind of explain that further in case you just needed a little better understanding. So what she's basically saying is, we try to explain away this increased number of mass shootings as saying, oh, these people are mental ill, but even though we're having more mass shootings, it's not that there's all of a sudden more mental illness to account for it. That's basically what she's saying there. A lot of what we're seeing in, the, in society right now is a type of pathologic, like sort of like a psychopathic mm. type phenomenon where people have, for whatever reason, been given permission mentally as an expression of whatever their rage is about something that's going on in the society. I mean, that needs to be addressed. Mm -hmm. Now, if they send some, you know, dollars, it, in the way of mental health that's great <laughs> i would be eternally happy about that oh, you got to find a silver lining somehow in like the most depressive devastating right. circumstance but yeah there there is a silver lining there mm -hmm. uh, but it doesn't sound like that is something that they're interested in doing with the funds sending you know more <laughs> resources to mental health with that said, the Biden-Harris administration is taking a greater focus on mental health. And in September of last year, they awarded $300 million to the Certified Community Behavioral Health Clinics to address the country's mental health crisis. Okay, so there are funds going towards mental health and behavioral health. Everybody talks a good game, but when it comes to putting your money where your mouth is, that's a whole different thing. Um, so for physicians who struggle, you were saying that they there's the increased stigma for physicians to seek out these resources because then, you know, what people have to, for example, even when you get credentialing to try to work at a specific hospital, you have to say, 
you have to yes. note your mental health conditions and if you've ever been institutionalized or hospitalized. And and it's not to say that it's not like it isn't helpful to know that information. Like I don't want to take away from that and say, oh, we don't need to, but it just puts physicians in a unique situation where people don't want to seek out services because they don't want to have that on the record. Yeah. And the question is, in what context do we need that information, right? right. Like do we need that information in order for someone to enter a residency program? Like, is that a collective information? Is that collective information that we need? And my answer is no. We don't, we need, the person needs to be able to trust that they can supply their information and get support. Yes. But it's not something where the residency program they don't collect information about any other health related that's true you know issues if yeah. somebody's suffering from endometriosis or fibromyalgia right. they don't have to report that so yeah. having a mental illness is automatically seen as being a functional issue mm-hmm. in, in medicine and that's a problem because many people who do medicine function wonderfully as long as their illness is managed well. Yeah. I mean, I guess also if they're not going to be provided with resources or support to address that from the beginning, then there's no need to know, you know, unless a person is ultimately seeking out resources and you need to provide additional support, which would be the same with any other condition that any somebody has. Condition. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, but yet it is collected. And why? Why is that? So yeah. so it becomes so deeply stigmatizing for um for physicians and much more directly so than in a lot of other spaces, right? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. if I were to go and apply for a job, I don't know, as a plumber, you know, to go and intern with another plumber. Nobody was going to ask me if I right. have mental illness. No, that's true. That's yeah. true. Along those lines, like what what is the path for a physician who is feeling like, all right, I have a mental health condition, I need to seek out resources. Like what is the path for them at that point? What we probably ought to do is maybe discuss the enormity of this issue. Mm-hmm. Let's start with talking about like the statistics here. Yes. Depression in medical students and, re- and residents are prevalent at twice the rate of the general population. It's a mm-hmm. prevalent at rates of about 15 to 30% of medical students and, and residents. And suicide is actually the second leading cause of death in medical residents. I don't know if you if you knew that before. No, I didn't know that. Well, but it's the first leading cause of death. Is it accidents? I guess it's- Yes. Yeah. Ironically, yes, it is accidents. And a lot of the times it's accidents because people fall asleep. Oh, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I could believe OB resident here. I could believe that. <laughs> yeah. I remember. I remember one day waking up 
driving into the meridian on the interstate 93 in boston like i was oh literally goodness. about to hit and veered to say i remember like waking up i don't even remember when i fell asleep yeah so that is really really high and that is in medical residence I mean, I can believe that for, you know, for anybody listening who's not in medicine, because anyone in medicine who's like, oh, yeah, that makes sense to me. But residency is a time where, I mean, you'll hear me talk a lot about residency, but essentially what it is, is you are going to get on the job training in whatever specialty it is that you are trying to ultimately become a practicing physician. And, you know, that's a lot like as an OBGYN resident. We did GYN surgery, we did labor and delivery, we did office, like seeing patients in the office, we did GYN oncology, we did urogynecology, we did ice in a rotation in the ICU. And when you are working, especially when you're on a night schedule, like you're not sleeping or when you're doing a 24 hour call and you're not sleeping, or if you are sleeping, it's very disjointed. You might get like one to two hours at a time. So for anybody who has had a baby, and remembers what that newborn first eight weeks is like that. Imagine doing that over the course of four years. Yep. <laughs> you are exhausted, exhausted. And you are expected to on your free time, be reading. You and are studying. Mm -hmm, studying and taking tests to make sure that you are caught up with everyone. You are expected to be at the tip top of your game while you do that, because we need to create excellent physicians who can provide adequate care, more than adequate care in whatever circumstance. And for many of these specialties under pressure, like for OBGYN, for example, I need to be prepared to find out that someone's baby is in distress and to perform a stat C-section and have that baby out in less than a minute. Mm -hmm. And we do that, you know, we learn how to do that, but there's also a lot of pressure in that and learning how to do that pressure to be successful pressure to be at the top. And I'm going to come back and talk more about that, but I don't want to interrupt you. <laughs> no, 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 that's okay. Because that is, you know, a big part of it. And it transfers even to attending. So the, the statistics are very startling for attendings. I'm gonna pause here for a moment to go over some facts. And these facts are all listed on the website for the Accreditation Council of Graduate Medical Education, the ACGME's website. And these facts are also listed from the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. An estimated 300 physicians die by suicide in the United States every year. Physicians who took their lives according to these statistics, were less likely to be receiving mental health treatment compared with non-physicians who took their lives, even though depression was found to be a significant risk factor at approximately the same rate in both groups. The suicide rate among male physicians is 1.41 times higher than the general male population. So that's almost one and a half times higher. And among female physicians, the relative risk was more pronounced at about 2.27 times greater than the general female population. Suicide is the second leading cause of death in the 24 to 34 age range. 28% of residents experience a major depressive episode during training 
versus 7 to 8% of similarly aged individuals in the U.S. general population. That is basically four times almost as high. That's crazy. In one study, 23% of interns, interns are residents in their very first year of training, 23% had suicidal thoughts. It's a time where you are adjusting to the work schedule, to not getting any sleep. Man. And you may already understand from what she and I have discussed, and if not, as you continue to listen, you'll get a better understanding of what puts young physicians and attending physicians at risk. So let's keep going and listen a little more. One of the things that I tell my patients all the time is you have got to remember that you are dealing with a potentially fatal illness here. You're dealing with a potentially oh. fatal illness. With depression. With depression. Yeah. Exactly. And also trauma. And we cannot yeah. separate the trauma from the depression. It's, it's, a, it's a hazing process. Okay. Tell me and more. Doctors have the highest rates of suicide of any profession, including the military. What? Around, yes. More than the military? More than the military. And because when we think of trauma and we think of PTSD, we automatically go to the military. We're not thinking about physicians. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yes. Around 400 physicians die by suicide every year. So that's a rate of more than one person per day. And 12% mm. of male attending physicians and 19.5% percent of female attending physicians are depressed so those are rates similar to the general population male doctors die by suicide at 40 percent higher than the general population okay. female doctors up to 130 percent higher so and i'm just going to break it down again for everyone else it's saying that we're just as depressed but we are following through at higher yeah. rates I'm going to pause here for a moment because I know we've been talking about some really heavy stuff and I don't want you to feel heavy. I want you to feel light. I want you to feel good. So we're going to use a technique or a similar technique to something that Dr. Abdul is going to talk about in the next episode of the podcast. We're just going to practice a little relaxation. Okay. It's a relaxation exercise. So what I want you to do is just to take a deep breath in for three seconds and then you're going to exhale for five seconds. Are you ready? All right, here we go. Deep breath in. Three, hold it. And now you're going to exhale for five, four, three, two, one. Great. Let's do that again. Deep breath in for three seconds. One, two, three, hold it. And then you're going to exhale. Five, four, three, two, one. Again, deep breath in, hold it. 
And while you're doing this, go ahead and exhale. I want you to just scan through your body, starting at your neck and your shoulders. Take another deep breath in. And if you feel that you have a lot of tension in your neck and your shoulders, I just want you to relax it, okay? And you're gonna take another deep breath in. One, two, three, hold it. And relax and release, three, two, one. Same thing, we're gonna go through the same thing with our abdomen as you're taking your breaths. If you're feeling any tension in your abdomen and your lower back and mid-back, you're just gonna relax that. Okay, same thing, do another set of breaths. This time we're gonna scan through our legs down to our toes. And if you're feeling any tension there, you're just gonna relax, relax that tension. Okay, let's do two more breaths. Deep breath in, one, two, three, really fill those lungs, hold it, and now out, five, four, three, two, one. Last time, deep breath in, one, two, three, hold it, last time out, five, four, three, two, one. Okay, I hope you feel a little more relaxed, a little more rested, and we're gonna continue with the rest of this episode. You know, I wanna highlight a difference, and I feel like this is something that we learned in medical school, in psychiatry rotation, or when we were studying psychiatry, but for women, they always said that, or for girls, for example, that often women made attempts, but it was more a cry for help. You know, they were, and I don't know how true that is, if anybody else has heard that, you know, that it was a cry for help, people wouldn't follow through, but with the physicians, I mean, it's showing that people are like, they mean, to do what they are setting out to do. But can you talk about that a little bit? I see, I, I wanna get your perspective. Yeah, so yeah, when somebody attempts suicide, so there's a different be difference between a suicide gesture um, and an attempt, okay? What you're talking about is a gesture, and yes, okay. men make more gestures. Men make more gestures, you said? Women. A oh, woman. Okay. Gestures. Got it. But attempts are real. The thing is that women are less likely to use violent means to attempt. Men are more likely to use violent means to attempt. Okay. And that's one of the reasons that when we are assessing for suicide in a general population, we ask about weapons. Mm. Um, and we have weapons actually removed from access to mm. our patients because that actually increases the rates of survival. 52% of deaths by suicide among men in the general population are completed by guns. Okay, so no guns. Whereas with women, women tend to attempt using overdose rather than a violent means. So there is greater rates of interception of women's attempts and that's why they don't die i see so when you're saying going back to what you were saying before so you make sure that your patients understand that because i think very commonly we throw around like oh yeah i'm depressed 
like it's not really a significant thing, but you're making sure that they actually understand the gravity mm-hmm. of depression. Just like, I mean, similar with diabetes, for example, you know, trying to get people to understand that this is something serious, but the gravity of depression, it's a serious condition. It can be a life ending condition that and stress. Exactly. Can you talk a little bit more about the separating the depression and stress that you were saying before? Separating depression and stress. Oh, and trauma. I, I'm sorry, oh. depression and trauma. That's what I meant to say. Okay, so trauma and depression can be quite uh, can be quite comorbid. In terms of trauma, about fifteen percent of the population who undergoes a trauma is going to end up having some kind of post traumatic stress related illness, and that can be very closely comorbid with depression. So okay. the patients I see often have a combination okay. uh, of post-traumatic stress and depression. Um, a lot of my minority patients have a lot of stress from racial type interactions. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of them experience this sense of a, a strong messaging that they do not belong that they are not as well equipped, that they are not as able mm-hmm. to complete their programs as other people. Um, so that's another issue uh, when it comes to physicians and this in particular black physicians um, that added layer of this messaging that comes that you're not really supposed to be here, which is a big problem. Those things compound the issue of stress and very easily lead to depression. Okay. That makes sense. And I, you know, being in all of these forums and groups of doctors and even paying attention to medical students, like anytime you see somebody in a very high achieving profession or a profession where people are more likely to be perfectionists or type A, there is often a sense of, I don't deserve to be here. So then adding mm-hmm. in an extra layer on top of that, I look like me. And because of that, you know, people are making me feel like I don't deserve to be here. That's a lot because residency and healthcare is a very stressful environment in general. So you yeah. don't really need the extra stress. No, you really don't. That being said, I have not seen any information saying that black physicians have that like there's a difference, like a a higher rate of suicide for black physicians, which Mm -hmm. says a lot for us. And I think in, in part it's because especially when we're in a predominantly white institution, Mm -hmm. oftentimes the black physicians will form a community Mm -hmm. of support. And that I think mitigates against it. And there's actual evidence actually, I remember we were talking a little bit about the, the anatomical and physiological changes to the brain, to the hippocampus and to the prefrontal cortex, et cetera. And I was reading an an article that was talking about the role of community in rehabilitating the hippocampus and increasing the size. Literally, it helps increase the size of the hippocampus if you have a strong community. So I want you to think about your community. 
How has your community been able to build you up? And who do I mean by community? Your friends, your family, people who look out for you, who share your interests, who check on you, who check in with you, people who you have in a group text. I know I have several group of friends that I keep in a group text. Does your community keep you uplifted, feeling good? That community might actually save your life. Thank you for joining me for this episode of the Lady Parts Doctor podcast. Before you go, make sure to subscribe to the blog, the podcast, wherever you're listening, the YouTube channel. And if you want to connect with me, you can connect with me on Instagram, on Twitter, I'm in TikTok, all of those places. And those are all great places to let me know if you have any questions, especially if you have any questions about this episode. I'd love to hear them. I'd love to talk about them. If you have any stories or your story or an idea you want to share or a podcast idea, you can also email me at drhack at ladypartsdoctor.com or info at ladypartsdoctor.com. And if you have more questions about Dr. Karen Abdul's practice, Beryllium Psychiatric Services, you can find her online at beryllumpsych.com, that's B-E-R-Y-L-L-I-U-M-P-S-Y-C-H.com. If you or someone you know is experiencing suicidal thoughts or a crisis, please call or text the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline at 988.